Chapter 19 of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Martin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter 19 Self Consciousness and Timidity Foes to Success. Timid, shy people are morbidly self conscious. They think too much about themselves. Their thoughts are always turned inward. They are always analyzing, dissecting themselves, wondering how they appear and what people think of them. If these people could only forget themselves and think of others, they would be surprised to see what freedom, ease and grace they would gain, what success in life they would achieve. Timidity, shyness and self-consciousness belong to the same family. We usually find all where we find any one of these qualities, and they are all enemies of peace of mind, happiness, and achievement. No one has ever done a great thing while his mind was centered upon himself. We must lose ourselves before we can find ourselves. Self-analysis is valuable only to learn our strength fatal if we dwell upon our weaknesses. Thousands of young people are held back from undertaking what they long to do, and are kept from trying to make real their great life dreams, because they are afraid to jostle with the world. They shrink from exposing their sore spots and sensitive points, which smart from the lightest touch. Their supersensitiveness makes cowards of them. Oversensitiveness, whether in man or woman, is really an exaggerated form of self-consciousness. It is far removed from conceit or self-esteem, yet it causes one's personality to overshadow everything else. A sensitive person feels that whatever he does, wherever he goes, or whatever he says, he is the center of observation. He imagines that people are criticizing his movements, making fun at his expense, or analyzing his character, when they are probably not thinking of him at all. He does not realize that other people are too busy and too much interested in themselves and other things to devote to him any of their time beyond what is absolutely necessary. When he thinks they are aiming remarks at him, putting slights upon him, or trying to hold him up to the ridicule of others, they may not be even conscious of his presence. Morbid sensitiveness requires heroic treatment. A sufferer who wishes to overcome it must take himself in hand as determinedly as he would if he wished to get control of a quick temper, or to rid himself of a habit of lying or stealing, or drinking, or any other defect which prevented his being a whole man. What shall I do to get rid of it? asks the victim. Think less of yourself, and more of others. Mingle freely with people. Become interested in things outside of yourself. Do not brood over what is said to you, 
or analyze every simple remark until you magnify it into something of the greatest importance. Do not have such a low and unjust estimate of people as to think they are bent on nothing but hurting the feelings of others and depreciating and making light of them on every possible occasion. A man who appreciates himself at his true value and who gives his neighbors credit for being at least as good as he is cannot be a victim of oversensitiveness. One of the best schools for a sensitive boy is a large business house in which he will be thrown among strangers who will not handle him with gloves. In such an environment, he will soon learn that everyone has all he can do to attend to his own business. He will realize that he must be a man and give and take with the others or get out. He will be ashamed to play crybaby every time he feels hurt, but will make up his mind to grin and bear it. Working in competition with other people and seeing that exactly the same treatment is given to those above him as to himself takes the nonsense out of him. He begins to see that the world is too busy to bother itself especially about him and that, even when people look at him, they are not usually thinking of him. A college course is of inestimable value to a boy or girl of over-refined sensibilities. Oftentimes, when boys enter college as freshmen, they are so touchy that their sense of honor is constantly being hurt and their pride stung by the unconscious thrusts of classmates and companions. But after they have been in college a term, and have been knocked about and handled in a rough but good-humoured manner by youths of their own age, they realise that it would be the most foolish thing in the world to betray resentment. If one shows that he is hurt, he knows that he will be called the class booby and teased unmercifully, so he is simply forced to drop his foolish sensitiveness. Thousands of people are out of positions and cannot keep places when they get them because of this weakness. Many a good businessman has been kept back or even ruined by his quickness to take offense or to resent a fancied slight. There is many a clergyman, well-educated and able, who is so sensitive that he cannot keep a pastorate long. From his distorted viewpoint, some brother or sister in the church is always hurting him, saying and thinking unkind things and throwing out hints and suggestions calculated to injure him in the eyes of the congregation. Many school teachers are great sufferers from oversensitiveness. Remarks of parents or school committees or little bits of gossip which are reported to them make them feel as if people were sticking pins in them metaphorically speaking, all the time. Writers, authors, and other people with artistic temperaments are usually very sensitive. I have in mind a very strong, vigorous editorial writer who is so prone to take offense that he cannot hold a position either on a magazine or a daily paper. He is cut to the very quick by the slightest criticism 
and regards every suggestion for the improvement of his work as a personal affront. He always carries about an injured air, a feeling that he has been imposed upon, which greatly detracts from an otherwise agreeable personality. The great majority of people, no matter how rough in manner or bearing, are kind-hearted and would much rather help than hinder a fellow being. But they have all they can do to attend to their own affairs, and have no time to spend in minutely analysing the nature and feeling of those whom they meet in the course of their daily business. In the busy world of affairs, it is give and take, touch and go, and those who expect to get on must rid themselves of all morbid sensitiveness. If they do not, they doom themselves to unhappiness and failure. Self-consciousness is a foe to greatness in every line of endeavor. No one ever does a really great thing until he feels that he is a part of something greater than himself, until he surrenders to that greater principle. Some of our best writers never found themselves, never touched their power, until they forgot their rules for construction, their grammar, their rhetorical arrangement, by losing themselves in their subject. Then they found their style. It is when a writer is so completely carried away with his subject that he cannot help writing, that he writes naturally. He shows what his real style is. No orator has ever electrified an audience while he was thinking of his style, or was conscious of his rhetoric, or trying to apply the conventional rules of oratory. It is when the orator's soul is on fire with his theme, and he forgets his audience, forgets everything but his subject, that he really does a great thing. No painter ever did a great masterpiece when trying to keep all the rules of his profession, the laws of drawing, of perspective, the science of color, in his mind. Everything must be swallowed up in his zeal, fused in the fire of his genius. Then, and then only, can he really create. No singer ever captivated her audience until she forgot herself until she was lost in her song. Could anything be more foolish and short-sighted than to allow a morbid sensitiveness to interfere with one's advancement in life? I know a young lady with a superb mind and a fine personality, capable of filling a superior position, who has been kept in a very ordinary situation for years, simply because of her morbid sensitiveness. She takes it for granted that if any criticism is made in the department where she works, it is intended for her, and she flies off the handle over every little remark that she can possibly twist into a reflection upon herself. The result is that she makes it so unpleasant for her employers that they do not promote her and she cannot understand why she does not get on faster. No one wishes to employ anyone who is so sensitive that he is obliged to be on his guard every moment, lest he wound him or touch a sore spot. It makes an employer very uncomfortable to feel that those about him 
are carrying around an injured air a large part of the time, so that he never quite knows whether they are in sympathy with him or not. If anything has gone wrong in his business and he feels vexed, he knows that he is liable to give offence to these people without ever intending it. A man wants to feel that his employees understand him, and that they take into consideration the thousand and one little vexations and happenings which are extremely trying, and that, if he does not happen to approach them with a smiling face, with consideration and friendliness, in his words or commands, they will not take offence. They will think of his troubles, not their own, if they are wise. They will forget self and contribute their zeal to the greater good. End of chapter 19 Self-consciousness and timidity foes to success Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland